We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Mr. Alan Harris walking out for the last time today. So his, his Sunday has started. We have a whole nother hour to go. We had a live in courthouse breakdown the last hour of the Chris Collins, uh, what would you call it? Sentencing. I, yeah, I, I was going to say fiasco, but it's yeah. the sentencing. <laughs> the sentencing of uh, Chris Collins. And now to further our coverage, we will go. To Carl Calabrese. Carl, good Sunday morning. Oh, good morning to both of you. Good morning, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us on a, a pretty big day uh, when it comes to what happened to Chris Collins Friday. Courtroom in Manhattan. He was sentenced by Judge Vernon Broderick to 26 months in prison. Also a $200,000 fine, a year of supervised vision, or uh, <laughs> supervision, I should say. And Carol, when the uh, verdict came down, what was your initial reaction? Well, I really wasn't surprised that the judge kind of split the difference, and my gut told me that probably was going to be the case. Uh, you had the probation people recommending a year and a day, and the prosecutors recommending four to five years. Um, so it's not not surprising that the, the judge took the middle course. And, you know, I, I had a couple of thoughts since Friday night, uh, kind of big-picture thoughts. So the first one was, you know, <laughs> If anybody thinks there's privacy anymore in this country, they better think twice because just just go through this case. You can't do anything in private anymore. I mean, we had video of Chris Collins making the phone call to his son on the lawn of the White House, and then we had you know the phone the phone logs and the text messages and the the trades the stock trades and you know everything was picked up for the prosecutors just to follow in line. It, you know, it was all right there. Um, and so, you know, there's there's very little privacy anymore. Anybody who thinks they're going to do a, a bad deed and, and not have something or someone pick it up on some type of technology is gravely mistaken and going to be going to be hit pretty hard. You know, and, and it's true. I think if even texts that you think you've deleted or emails, it can always be recovered. Carol, that's a very good point. And uh, perhaps, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about it being an impulse on Colin's part to call his son and you know, be devastated by the news that this drug that was supposed to help people with multiple sclerosis uh, failed and therefore the stock would be without value. Uh, but then it was obvious to the judge that it, there were other things that were not impulsive, lying to the FBI 10 months after the fact, things that were still being said, Colin saying that the claim was meritless, that kind of thing. So uh, the point is that you may be doing something on impulse, but to your you're a very astute point. It's going to come back to haunt you eventually. There's no getting out of it. And the prosecutors were successful uh, in making a case, convincing the judge that it wasn't a one-off right. situation where he called his son. Following that, there was there was a coordination between father, son, and future in-laws on what steps to take to 
to minimize or eliminate any chance of loss and then cover it up. And I think that is probably would push this over over the edge. The other thought I had was, you know, we can debate whether the sentence was too lenient or too harsh or just you know, just right. But let's keep in mind that Chris Collins literally sentenced himself to a, a life sentence in the sense of he's got to live with the fact of what he did to his son and his son's reputation. The kid's only 27 years old, apparently just a you know, top-notch young man, Eagle Scout, great student. His father had hopes that someday he might run for public office and maybe even succeed him in Congress. Chris Collins is a big boy. He'll take his punishment. But he's got, as a father, he's got to live with what he did to his son and the huge weight that that's going to tie around his son uh, going forward for decades. And, boy, I'll tell you, that is a life sentence for uh, a dedicated father to have to deal with. Carl, uh, talking about his district, uh, NY27, the judge asked Chris Collins or suggested that he goes and speaks to his former constituents. What did you think of that suggestion, and do you think Chris Collins will follow up? Uh, No, I don't think he'll follow up, Joe. I I think the man is totally broken and humiliated, and uh, we're not going to see him again until TV coverage shows up of him entering prison and then leaving prison, you know. 18, 20, 22 months later. Uh, I, I do. I, I really do believe he is a broken man in, in, in mind and spirit, and he, he, no way he's coming back here to address constituents. And what would it be? I mean, think about it. Would, would it be like a, a reunion tour on a, a rock band? I mean, how do you do that? Do you have one event? Do you have multiple events? I mean, that's he's not going to do that. It's just he, he's got enough psychological pressure on him dealing with the fact that on St. Patrick's Day he's got to report to federal prison, let alone the thought of coming back and facing friendly and very unfriendly constituents. Carl, in hindsight, do you think it was a bad choice of him to run for re-election in 2018? Yes, no question about it. Um, I thought it was a bad decision back then when he first made it, even before the verdict. Uh, there was too much hanging over him. Um, there was too much, you know, too many questions and suspicions um, it, it, that could put that seat at risk, which it did. I mean, there's no way a Republican should win that seat by one, one and a half percentage points. I mean, that is a solid red district, as red as you're ever going to get. Uh, and so he put the seat at risk, his party at risk, um, and he, he should have stepped back and concentrated on his defense. And uh, that, that, was a, that was a bad decision, from, from I think, from a personal standpoint, uh, because it, it certainly played into the court battle and the judge's thinking. And it was a bad decision from a political standpoint and a party standpoint. Carl, I know you've gone way back with Chris Collins. In fact, I heard you talking with Tom Bowerly Friday afternoon uh, when the verdict came down about how when he was first entering the political fray many years ago, uh, you were the town of Tonawanda supervisor, I believe. And he would call you for advice and perhaps uh, ask you to introduce him to people who he wanted to get to meet in the political world. What was his personality like at that time? And do you think that his personality stayed consistent over the years where he was viewed as somewhat of a, you know, not a warm and fuzzy guy, but a businessman who looked at things pretty black and white? I remember reading um, many times about his Six Sigma philosophy. Um, he brought a different tone to the political world. Um, but back in the early days, what was he like and, and how did he evolve? Well, you're right, then. He, he would call me uh, as he was a first-time candidate for Congress running against then-Congressman John LaFalse. And um, he would call me as town supervisor and ask if I was 
going to be attending a certain event, be it a senior citizen event or a service club event or something like that, and um, ask if I would you know, take him around and introduce him to the folks I knew. And I can't tell you how many times I did that with him during the course of, of that campaign. His personality was slightly different in the sense that he was in a new, he was in a, a new environment, uh, leaving the business environment, now entering the political environment. And so he was a, you know, probably understated compared to what we see him now, um, just because he was unfamiliar with it. And he's the kind of guy who absorbs knowledge very quickly. So I often got the impression that he was watching other elected officials, myself and other town uh, officials, how they handled different political situations. He was taking it in, learning it, and you know, eventually got more comfortable with the political process. But he's always been the same Chris Collins. He's, as I said to Tom on Friday night, He's never been a warm and fuzzy, backslapping kind of politician. Uh, there was always a certain distance between him and, and folks, and that was his style. It was his personality. Uh, he was a numbers guy. He was a systems guy. Guy had a, a head for numbers and systems like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he really, really could dissect a balance sheet and uh, an organizational chart uh, at a level that I don't think I've ever seen anyone do it. Um, and you know, he carried that with him through his years as county executive and then in Congress. Uh, but that was his style, and, and that never changed. Like I say, he got he got more comfortable with the political process as time went on, and, and he had more campaigns under his belt. Uh, but the first time he was, like most first-time candidates, they're, you know, a little, little put off, a, a little intimidated by walking into a room of 150 people, strange people, not knowing anyone, and making small talk with people. And uh, He got better at it, but, uh, you know, he was never a real strong retail politician, let's put it that way. Not warm and fuzzy. Seems to be a theme in the county executive office. Uh, Carl, you mind if we go to the phones? Not at all. All right, let's start with Frank in Williamsville. Frank, good morning. You know, this thing really bothers me in so many different ways. Um, you, you just explained how adept that uh, Collins was at business, and if anybody should know that this is a, a crime a, a, on the face of it, it should have been Collins. He knows he can't sell a stock off. That's, that's going to be worthless because a test came through and basically, you know, everything the company was based on is a failure. Once, we're not seeing anybody here from the from the side who bought the shares from him. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is like a, like a Bernie Madoff crime. And then he goes into, into court and he's crying. And I mean, take it like a man, Chris. You know, I mean, he should go in front. He should have went in front of the courthouse and took in, taking questions from the press. And explain what he was seeing as part of um, remorse. If he was really remorseful for what he did, he would have stand up and at least taken some responsibility to the public. But actually, the, the reason, mainly that I called is that this is such a blow to Republican conservative people who want to serve in government, who always are, are having to defend themselves against the liberals who say, look, at, those guys are not for the common man, they're only for big business, they're for the rich people, they're corrupted. They don't know what the little people are going through. And then when you get a guy in there, like Collins, it's up to him to not, you know, make them, make them tell me the truth, so to speak, you know? It, it just bothers me on so many levels. You know, Frank, I'm glad you brought that up because one of my questions for Carol is, does this uh, provide a further black eye for politicians? You know, the old uh, saying, oh, they're all corrupt, they're all crooks. Does this just feed into their perception? Oh, it sure does, and it's bipartisan in nature, as you just said. Yes. We use the word all, okay? And it does reinforce that 
that image of, of politicians all being corrupt and all being, you know, kind of shifty and, and looking for the best deals. Uh, yeah, it does, unfortunately. And, and it tires the, the folks in, in government and uh, at both parties that are working hard and are honest and, and go through their careers. I mean, I could, I could fill legal pads with names of local elected officials that I had the pleasure and honor to work with over decades that served in government for decades without ever a hint of scandal, without ever a hint of scandal. But they get lost, okay? The news is not all the good people who serve well and honorably. The news, the front page news, will always be an action like Chris Collins took. It's just the way it is. We'll take a quick break back with Carol Calabrese, political strategist, and your phone calls right after this timeout. Stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy, and Carl Calabrese joining us with your calls. But first, Brenda. Uh, Carl, I wanted to ask you uh, what you thought about Nate McMurray's um, comments after Chris Collins was sentenced. In fact, one of our texters uh, wanted your opinion as well. Now, uh, we know that um, he's a Democrat who narrowly lost to Chris Collins uh, months after Collins was arrested. So here's what uh, McMurray said. Years of lies by Collins and those who justified his crimes ends like this. Tears, an empty seat. It's a sad moment. No sentence can heal the damage caused. The sting will linger. Remember this, who brought us here. What did you make of uh, McMurray's comments, Carl? I actually thought it was kind of harsh sounding for the situation. And, um, and obviously he's going to play it from a partisan standpoint in the sense of painting with the broad brush. So uh, any Republican, whoever the Republican is that faces off against him uh, in November, ought to be prepared for the broad brush approach that uh, he's, uh, McMurray will try to paint whatever, whoever the Republican uh, candidate is with with the stain of Collins. It's just that's just the nature of the political business. All right, let's get one call in before the top of the hour news. We'll go to Niagara and talk to Edwina. Edwina, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Carl, for taking my call. Um, I want to ask you what is what do you believe is going to happen in the twenty seventh congressional district? in the aftermath of what happened with Collins. And I'm stating this because you do have a candidate that announced their candidacy that comes with a a very tainted character. And I'm going to talk about Robert Ort when he made the statement to Mr. McCarthy in the paper that he was that his charges were adjudicated and he was and it was left out of court which I disagree, because if you read it in in its entirety what the judge also wrote, that he was adjudicated because of a technicality. He wasn't in the presence at the time that was taking place. But the judge also wrote further in the newspaper that, quote, there was evidence that he was well aware of the scheme. Now, I say to you this, you tell me what kind of a character that would have the job as the treasurer, that the Republican Party, who was under investigation for many corruptions, at one time I had Mr. Ort and Assemblyman Norris both under indictment. But my point is, I'm from Niagara County, and I'm very concerned with the corruption that's taking place in Niagara County, such as they just put a public information officer 
Kevin Schuler, who was accused of the Buffalo Billions, they put him on as the public information officer for the county of Nia- for Niagara County. Also, they hired Glenn Arano, which is a civil service job, and I imagine there are repercussions on that as far as hiring. Hey, Edwina, I hate to do this, but we are up against a hard break, so I'm going to put you on hold, and Carl and will answer those. We'll keep Edwina through the break. That was my fault. Shouldn't have taken a call that quickly. When we come back, we will continue with Edwina. We'll continue with Carl, and we will talk to you here on Hardline on News Radio 930 W. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. B-E-N. And welcome back to Hardline. We're here on WBEN. We are talking about the Chris Collins sentencing that occurred uh, this past Friday. Carol Calabrese is on the line with us. He is a well-known political strategist, former town of Tonawanda supervisor who goes way back uh, with Collins and brings uh, specific and and good insight into the situation. And before the break, uh, Joe, we were talking with Edwina from Niagara County who is still on the line. Edwina, please go right ahead. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Mr. Calabrese, you mentioned the fact that you had worked with a number of politicians where there was no tainting whatsoever, and I agree with you on that. And that's what I would like to see happen in Niagara County. But we're not having that happen because of the fact that, I mean, just in 2017, there were several of uh, uh, Niagara County uh, uh, elected officials that were under investigation, and not only that, it's that I would, have, I would like to have the people delve more into what the judge said and also what the editorial was about Mr. Ort in the Buffalo paper where the editorial stated that he owes his constituency some explanations on what happened with the no-show job that his wife was supposed to have made for, uh, with $21,000 because of the fact when he was the treasurer in North Tonawanda and then the Republican Party, the GOP Party, wanted him to take over to be the mayor, he was not satisfied with the salary of the mayor, and that's where this one scheme come into place. Now, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I know you're uh, you know, very politically astute, but in the court of public opinion, believe me, Mr. Ort did not get laughed out of court, not when the judge stated that there was evidence that he was well aware of the scheme. Is that what we want? Now, you have people that run for office that are, don't have this tainted baggage with them, and I'm urging people to take a look at anyone that is 
decent enough to run for office. And believe me, I have the highest, most respect for people running and out of, in office. And but not when not when it's like this. This is a very questionable thing, and I blame the Niagara County Republican chairman because Andres, when he took over, he stated that. He was going to change the image of corruption in the Republican Party in Niagara County. And I am not a Democrat. And we know, let, let's give Carl a chance to address this because we're all over the board here. Thank you very much for the call, Carol. Yeah, let, first of all, Rob Ort. I know Rob. Uh, Rob is a combat veteran, a, a winner of the, the Bronze Star for bravery. Um, remember the, the couple of concepts here. The, the old idea that, that's very true that a prosecutor can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. All right, that's first. That's first point. Second point is remember the the analogy of the fruit of the poison tree. Both apply here. Rob Ort was charged by a guy named Eric Schneiderman, the Attorney General of New York State. Eric Schneiderman later had to resign in disgrace. Okay, he brings this case. And by the way, no show job. This was not government money. His wife had a job with a private company. And so let's let's make sure we make that distinction. This, there's, this was not a charge that she was taking public money. She worked for a private company. Schneiderman indicts Ort, tries to get to make a deal, a plea deal, to taint him and to probably see him either lose election or resign. Ort says, no, I'm innocent. We're going to court. On the first day of the trial, the, the, the judge essentially said to Schneiderman, how dare you bring a case with such flimsy evidence to my court out of here? And that was it. It was over. So I uh, I give him, I give Rob Ward credit for standing up to this corrupt attorney general who's now a private citizen because of that corruption. And I give him credit for facing him down in court and clearing his name. Um, you know, it was, it was up to the prosecutor to prove Rob Ward's guilt with something called evidence. He did not do that. He did it with press releases. And the judge recognized that and showed the prosecutor, Eric Schneiderman, the door of his courtroom on the first day. So going forward, obviously the public will decide, but no, this was a, this was a drummed-up political prosecution by a corrupt prosecutor. The judge recognized that, and Rob Ortz was done with it in day one. All right, Carl, let's switch gears and talk about the big news out of Washington, D.C. The impeachment, finally, the impeachment trial will start on Tuesday. Given what happened last week, what was your thoughts on everything, the swearing in, the parade of the documents uh, around Capitol Hill, to me all seemed ridiculous. Uh, how did you take it? Oh, you know, I, I've been reading for months in the mainstream media about what a brilliant political strategist Nancy Pelosi is, and I have grave doubts about that. This, it, it, she initially started off on the right track where she said the country wasn't ready, this case wasn't ready for impeachment, and if it was, it had to be bipartisan. All right. Well, that went by the wayside because it was totally partisan. Not one Republican in the House supported it. She now has, by doing this, with a very, very flimsy case, okay, as I said on your show and other shows, this is the first impeachment in our history where a president is being impeached, where there have been no laws broken. There have been no crimes committed. If you did not commit any crimes going into the case, then how can you prove high crimes and misdemeanors? There is no such law as obstruction of Congress. And there's no such law as abuse of power. So she has, by doing this now, she has put her 31 members of the House Democratic Caucus, 
that were elected from very solid pro-Trump districts in grave jeopardy coming into the 2020 election. Uh, she has turned off independent voters in the key states because their numbers flipped. At the beginning of the impeachment process, independents in key states favored impeachment 50 to 35. Right now, it's it's just the opposite. It's 50-35 opposed. Uh, and then she she does this thing with the with the parade, marching them down. It looked like a funeral parade. Uh, and then the signing ceremony and handing out pens. I mean, that's usually associated with major legislation that's positive and it's going to impact people's lives. And she's handing out pens. Uh, it, it was bizarre. Whoever advised her from a public relations and optics standpoint ought to be fired. Because that was just, I mean, all this time she's talking about how solemn and prayerful this is and what a tragedy it is for the country. And she's signing pens and fist pumping. It was, it was a public relations disaster, in my opinion. Carl, no matter uh, what side of the political aisle you're on, I'm wondering if, if you can, you know, if anybody looks at this objectively, it seems to me that President Trump will use this to just garner more support because of the way Nancy Pelosi is mishandling this situation. Uh, the optics, as you just indicated, are terrible. And I think that, if anything, it's adding fuel to the Trump fire here. I think it's it's getting his supporters even more rabid in their support of the president and making her look small and petty. I, I agree. And re- remember something I, I've termed the Kavanaugh effect. Uh, going into the midterm election, Democrats had a good night, but it wasn't a wave election, and it could have been, because going into the um, 2018 midterm election, Democrats had all the makings of a wave election uh, in terms of enthusiasm, and there was this gigantic what's called enthusiasm gap between the two parties. Democrats were 83 percent enthused, very enthused about voting, and Republicans were at 60 percent. That gap is what makes for a wave election, when one side stays home. People think that when there's a big wave election, uh, people of the Republican Party vote for Democrats and vice versa. That's not true. What causes a wave election is one party staying home because they're not enthused. By election day, that gap had closed from 83-60 to 83-80. The difference was the Kavanaugh effect. That sham trial and what what the Senate Democrats did to that man in public, motivated the Republican base to get up to that level. Had it not been for that sham, that show, uh, Democrats would have had a, a wave. They may have picked up 50, 60 seats in, in the House. Uh, so that cost them dearly, and I think that same impact will, will now play out in Trump's favor in terms of his base, okay? Um, one of the problems that Donald Trump has with his base is it's shrinking, okay? His base is about 2% lower in numbers than it was in 2016, just because it's an older demographic and people are passing away. So he's got to find base voters that may not have voted for him in 2016, but have come on uh, to his bandwagon since and get them to to turn out and replace that 2% that that dropped off and add more to it. Because I believe the left in this country is going to come out in huge numbers in 2020 to defeat him. So that's his, that's his mission, his goal, his, his obstacle he has to deal with is how does he replace that 2% of his, of, of his base that is no longer there with another 2% and plus? And I think he'll, he'll play this whole impeachment thing to do that. And, and he's already doing it, as a matter of fact. He's using it to, to, to find new voters and, and to turn up the temperature of enthusiasm amongst his existing base and people who are about to join that base. Carl, if you took impeachment out of it, what would your one thing, suggestion to the president be, to get that 2%. If it wasn't impeachment, 
What's another thing you think the president needs to either focus on, maybe do less of, uh, to get that 2% before Election Day? Well, I would like to see him spend more time talking about his big issue accomplishments and less time in the petty stuff, okay? And I'm, I'm not one people say, oh, he should stop tweeting. I, I disagree with that. Um, tweeting is just a form of communication, a modern form of communication, and every president has had to learn to master the type of communication tools available to him at, at that in that era. And one era was the printed press and pamphlets, and then it became radio, and then it became television. Well, now it's all of those things and social media. Uh, so you've got to use it. I just sometimes disagree with the way he uses it because he oftentimes steps on his own message when he should be talking about big-picture issues. He's got a great economy. He's just signed two, just think about this past week, two major trade deals, two of them signed the or, or finalized the deal with China, phase one deal with China, and then the um, uh, America, Canada, Mexico, uh, redoing, total redoing of, of NAFTA, which Trump used very effectively in the Rust Belt states to say that was a bad deal, that hurt workers, that hollowed out communities or businesses, I'm going to fix it. So he's got a lot of very positive things to talk about if he could stay disciplined uh, on, on that message. And if I was advising him, I'd say from now until the election, be competitive with your, your opponents, uh, but avoid the petty stuff and avoid the distractions. You know, uh, if some Hollywood star says something uh, against you on the day that uh, unemployment numbers come out and are great, ignore the Hollywood star and talk about the unemployment numbers being great. He has a problem doing that, but that's Donald Trump. And, you know, it's, it'd be tough to be his advisor, I'll tell you right now. Oh. I don't think he takes advice very well. I can imagine. Uh, since we're talking election, let's segue right into primaries. We are a few weeks away, the Monday after Super Bowl, the Iowa caucus, and we had another Democrat debate. Carl, are these debates helping the Democrats at all? I, I don't think so. I watched I watched every one of them. I watched one the other night. Uh, first of all, I thought you know, Joe Biden looked bad. I bet you 60 to 65 percent of his answers involved stumbling and stuttering and losing his train of thought and getting that thousand-yard stare in his eyes. Not a very strong performance at all. He's being benefited, however, by the battle between Sanders and <laughs> And if you take their two numbers, if you take the, the level of support for Warren in the party and the level of support for Sanders in the party and add them together, if one of those two were out, Joe Biden would be in second place looking up um, at the leader. Uh, but he's, be, he's certainly benefiting by the, this, this fight that's going on that seems to be getting hotter now. You saw it the other night um, in terms of this charge by Elizabeth Warren of what Bernie Sanders allegedly said to her about a woman not being able to win for president. My first reaction was, how can anybody believe anything Elizabeth Warren says? She lied about her Native American heritage. She lied about sending her kids to public school. She lied about being fired as a teacher because she was pregnant. And now this. (laughs) Again, there's a huge credibility gap there with Elizabeth Warren. But CNN obviously bought into it. And uh, the the question that that one one moderator asked Bernie Sanders, I mean, the look on Bernie Sanders' face was priceless. It was basically... When did you stop beating your wife? <laughs> right. And and then when Bernie answered it, they went to Warren and said, "So, you know, what did you what did you what did you think when he said that to you?" <laughs> um, it, it, 
and, and, and say to that, look at his face like, wow, is this a rigged poker game or what? <laughs> Carol, I think it's fair to say that uh, Sanders and Warren aren't having Sunday brunch uh, today, enjoying each other's company. When she pulled her hand back and said, you called me a liar on national TV, um, I think he was clearly taken aback by how assertive she was in that moment. Do you think this benefits him, or do you think people are, again, sort of throwing their hands up and saying, I'm so tired of this political stuff? Uh, I think this was a, a Hail Mary pass by Elizabeth Warren because she has tanked. I mean, it wasn't long ago, you know, six, eight weeks ago, where she was leading the pack. Um, and then she ran into all kinds of problems with her uh, Medicare for All and, you know, not really being forthcoming. And then when she did put it out, it, it had all kinds of criticism. And then she backed off it and said, well, I'm really going to phase it in. She did everything wrong and saw her numbers literally fall by 50%. She went. To, she was in the, in the near 30, high 20s. She went to 15, 16%. Her fundraising is way down. So this was a Hail Mary pass to try to ignite uh, the feminist base uh, in, a, in the primaries to beat Bernie Sanders. I, I think it was desperation. It's tough, I think, to pin this charge on Bernie Sanders with his, his history. Um, but, you know, she that's the position she's in. Um, but in terms of the entire debate, to answer Joe's question, every one of these debates continues to move the Democrat Party farther and farther left in terms of economics, in terms of foreign relations, and in terms of social issues. And I, I just think when you get to a general election, that is going to be a heavy, heavy weight to bear uh, for whoever the candidate is, because they've all moved left, all of them, and far left. And so that's, that's what Trump is going to be campaigning against. He's not only going to be campaigning against his named opponent. He's going to be campaigning against the entire progressive left wing of the Democrat Party, which may very well drive this nomination. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, the progressive left wing of the Democrat Party is about 35 percent of the party. It's not a majority, but it's where the energy is. It's where the money comes from. Seems like a pretty big target these days, doesn't it? Um and the other thing, too, um, in spite of what we were saying about Joe Biden stumbling and stammering and just not seeming to be in the game, uh, he's still in the lead. But it looks like, according to a poll I just read yesterday, yesterday, that Bernie Sanders is almost on par with him. Carl, do you think Sanders will overtake him in the next couple of months? Well, let's let's take a look at those polls. Um, let's Let's look at the Iowa polls first. There's a number of Iowa polls. And, and remember, it's a caucus. It's not a primary. So people have to come out, probably a very cold, snowy night, and give up their whole night. It's not like you go into a voting booth and, and wait five minutes in line, sign in and vote, and then leave. Caucuses could take literally five, six hours by the time it's all settled. So the candidate with a higher level of enthusiasm and the candidate with more people, more you know, troops on the ground, volunteers, has a huge advantage in Iowa. Bernie Sanders, right now there's an enthusiasm gap between him and, and Biden. Sanders' people are, again, in the 80s, in terms 80% and higher in terms of their enthusiasm both for Bernie and Joe Biden is in the 60s. That could be important. And Sanders has a small army of volunteers in Iowa totaling 10,000 people. That's what wins, wins caucuses. Now, right now, uh, they're, they're dead even, okay? Biden, I'm looking at the poll right now, Brenda. Biden's at 20.7 and Sanders is at 20.3. That's, that's that even. So this is going to come down to a matter of enthusiasm and organization. And right now, it seems that Sanders has an advantage in both of those areas. In New Hampshire, which is a week or so later, you've got Sanders in first place at 22.5 and Biden in second place at 21. 
whoever wins that Iowa caucus is going to get a, a, a shot of adrenaline going into New Hampshire. And uh, I would think it's too soon to say who's going to win New Hampshire until we see who wins Iowa, because uh, the momentum factor coming out of the Iowa caucus will have a huge impact on the New Hampshire vote a week later. Carl, looking at Joe Biden, once we get to Super Tuesday and Michael Bloomberg is on the ballot, do you think that's going to chip away at the Biden support? Oh, it sure could. I mean, um, uh, you know, he is he could he could do to Biden what Warren is doing to Sanders and Sanders is doing to Warren. And that is competing in the same lane for the same um, the same voter within the Democratic Party, the so-called more moderate voter of the Democratic Party. Uh, And so, yeah, I would think that. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Biden might be very very nervous about Super Tuesday, especially if he loses the first two. If he loses Iowa and New Hampshire, now he has to face off against Bloomberg with all his money, competing for the same wing of the party. Uh, that could greatly complicate his equation going into Super Tuesday. And remember, following Super Tuesday is another batch of of um, uh, primaries that will select an, another big block of delegates. March is is a huge. A month for the Democrat primaries and delegate totals. I think by the end of March, something like 40 percent of, de- of dem- uh, Democrat delegates will have been chosen. Gives new meaning to March Madness, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. Carol, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for this past hour. Joe and I appreciate your time and insights. Enjoyed it, as always. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. And before we get out of here, I have to say, tomorrow, 9 to noon, I will be in for Sandy Beach. So if you are amongst those who still have to go to work, uh, make sure you tune in. Or if you're staying home and doing stuff around the house, radio.com app, give us a listen. And uh, I promise it'll be a great topic as usual. No doubt about it, Joe. I'll send you a text. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Also, enjoy the games today. You've got the championship games, uh, AFC first and then the NFC. So, uh Sit back, get a few adult beverages, uh, maybe order a pizza, enjoy some football. I'm hoping KC, San Francisco in the big game. I'm calling Tennessee Green Bay. Wow, just the opposite. Well, I we'll want to be able to say I know an owner of a Super Bowl team. Yeah, you you and I both, one of our favorite people here at work. <laughs> That's right, and I've already been uh, promised if they are in the Super Bowl, Friday before the Super Bowl, he will come on my show. So Does he have to wear a cheese head? Oh, yeah. I want him all full garb, full regalia. his owner pin. I want everything when he walks in. Number 12 jersey. That's right. With <laughs> with the Super Bowl patch. Of course. All right. Well, hey, and next Sunday, it'll be another great hard line. Thank you so much for spending two hours with us here Sunday morning. Brenda, have a good day off tomorrow. Thanks, Joe. And I'll be tuning in for sure from 9 to noon. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Have a great week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.